0: Frank Ling and I'm Charles Lee and you're listening to the Grok Science Show that's right it's a weekly look at the world of science technology and effects on our daily lives coming up on today's program Dr. Robert Cantu will join us to discuss concussions and our kids so stay tuned for all of this plus the Grokatron 5000 and our world famous question a week coming right up here on the Grok's Science Show science show. Well, it's almost impossible to read the sports page, turn on the news, or stand on the sidelines of a sports game and not come across the silent epidemic of concussions. Though a long-standing issue, the awareness of how widespread brain trauma is, especially among young people, has only recently come to our forefront of the nation's consciousness. And in his new book, Concussions and Our Kids, leading brain trauma expert and chief of neurosurgery at Emerson Hospital, Dr. Robert Cantu, focuses on the trauma experienced by children and advocates for change. Dr. Cantu is Chief of Neurosurgery, Chairman of Department of Surgery, and Director of Services of Sports Medicine at Emerson Hospital, as well as the Clinical Professor of Neurosurgery and Co-Director at Boston University's Center for the Study of Traumatic Encephalopathy. He serves as a Senior Consultant to the National Football League, and together with Mark Hyman, a sports journalist, he has penned the new book, Concussions and Our Kids, America's Leading Expert on How to Protect Young Athletes and Keep Sports Safe. And Dr. Cantu, we're very grateful that you could join us today on the Grok Science Show.
1: Happy to be
0: aboard, Charles. Uh, well, certainly our pleasure. Certainly a fascinating book, Concussions in Our Kids. You really detail the risk factors, prevalence, and recommendations for what we can do to combat this issue. Why did you decide to write this book?
1: Well, Charles, for over 30 years, I've been writing and lecturing to the medical community on concussions. I wrote the first return to play guidelines for concussion after football nearly 30 years ago. And it occurred to me that if we're really going to make some change in this country, we've really got to start educating the public about it. And so I made a shift and Mark Harmon and I collaborated. He took my kind of boring, put you to sleep prose that I dictated and put it into some peppier, shorter sentences that I hope will stimulate people and keep them awake.
0: How much more aware do you think the public is about this issue? Because certainly, even in the more recent past, concussions really hadn't been uh, recognized, especially among kids.
1: Well, I think it's improving. Certainly, I think Ted Johnson, a patient of ours in 2007 when he went public with his problems with post-concussion syndrome, did a huge service in terms of uh, bringing people's awareness up of concussion. Alan Swartz has done marvelous work. And my co-founder at Sports Legacy Institute, Chris Nowinski, has done a tremendous amount of advocacy work for concussion. So I think it's certainly getting more in the forefront, but it really needs to be better understood by everybody, and then intelligent decisions can be made.
0: Everyone has a vague idea of what concussion is, but what exactly is a concussion?
1: Well, a concussion is is from the Latin word concutere, which means violently shaking. That's what happens to the brain. It's violently shaken inside the skull, usually from a blow to the head, but not always. It can just be a whiplash-type injury that shakes the brain enough to produce a concussion.
0: And what damage, then, does this do to the brain itself?
1: As a result of stretching and twisting nerve cells and their connections, the axons, there is a neurometabolic cascade of abnormalities that happen dealing with ions in cells and transmitters on the end of axons that essentially paralyzes the cell from conducting further impulses at that point in time. But the cell is alive. The cell can function again normally if you properly rest it. In a few instances, though, there's actually cell damage and the twisting and stretching has just been too much and you've torn and permanently injured neurons.
0: And so presumably the severity of the behavioral effects determined by how badly these neurons are damaged then?
1: Yes, that's certainly one of the major factors. It can be prolonged, that is the symptoms, though, by mismanaging a concussion and the hallmark of managing it correctly is you're dealing with a metabolic crisis and you need to rest the brain at that point in time, physically be no more active than walking and certainly cognitive things need to be shut down as well.
0: So how do you recognize if if someone is suffering from a concussion?
1: You recognize most concussions because of one or more of the 26 common post-concussion symptoms that happen. More than 90% of athletic concussions do not involve loss of consciousness. If there is, it's usually brief, and obviously everyone would recognize that concussion. But the other concussions that don't involve loss of consciousness, you have to carefully inquire and observe the individual and see whether they have any one of the 26 symptoms. Those symptoms fall into baskets, cognitive baskets involving thought and memory and insight and judgment, sleep baskets where you sleep more, sleep less, have trouble falling asleep, emotional basket where you can be anxious, irritable, and a somatic basket, which is the biggest group of symptoms where Headache, lightheadedness, dizziness, sensitivity light, sensitivity noise are a few of them.
0: So are there particular sports that are more prone to causing concussions?
1: Yes, certainly at the top of the list is ice hockey and football and lacrosse, and that's not a surprise. But it might surprise people to know that the sport of soccer has every bit as many recognized concussions as the sport of football. In soccer, it's almost always in the act of heading the ball, but it's not heading the ball that gives you the concussion that you hit somebody else's head in the act of doing it or you hit somebody else's forearm or hand. Rarely you can get a concussion from the ball itself, but that's quite rare.
0: So are kids more susceptible to concussions than adults, or do they have mechanisms that would allow them to recover more quickly?
1: Actually, children are much more vulnerable than adults. Their brains are not myelinated. Myelin is the coating of the nerve fibers. The axons gives them strength. It's kind of like coating on a telephone wire, and if you don't have it, it's much more easy to break it or damage it. Also, youngsters have disproportionately large heads and weak necks, and that bobblehead doll effect greatly increases their risk of brain injury.
0: So what some recommendations, then, given that kids are still going to play sports? So what what can we do to reduce the risk of concussions?
1: Well, I feel very strongly that we should encourage kids to play sports. We need to encourage our kids to be physically active, and life lessons are learned through playing sports. But I do think they need to be modified for our youth. I think tackle football should not be started until high school. Before then, we should be playing flag football. We should be learning the skills of tackling, but tackle dummies and not bash bodies and clash heads. In soccer, I would eliminate the act of heading, which is where almost all the concussion happens until you're 14. Play the sport, but just don't have heading as part of it. And in ice hockey, it would be no full body checking until the age of 14.
0: It's so really trying to reduce the amount of impact that their bodies are taking in sport?
1: Yes, especially impact to the head, Charles.
0: You recommend in the book the idea of having some sort of normal baseline testing before even starting a sport so you'll know if there are changes due to some type of injury.
1: Yes, and it's important we understand what I mean by that. Certainly one of the baseline tests uh, that are out there today are a number of computer-based cognitive tests, (laughs) IMPACT certainly being the most common, but COGSport, HeadMinder, and A&M being others. But they're only testing the cognitive basket that I talked about. So the baseline testing should also include a neurologic assessment where balance is tested, vision is tested, and a a mini-neurologic exam gone through. And all of those things must be weighed when you're trying to decide if somebody's had a concussion or if somebody's cleared from a concussion. You can never use just neurocognitive testing alone, or you're going to only be about 60% accurate, and that's putting a lot of people at risk.
0: Are the damages from successive concussions cumulative?
1: The answer is they certainly can be. And that is a a big concern, especially a concern when you start to accumulate concussions at a very young age. And it's a strong argument for not accumulating them uh, until you're much older. But not always are there cumulative effects. Each concussion is unique in and unto the forces involved with it. A good example is Patrice Bergeron, who we took care of a few years back. First time we took care of him, he had concussion symptoms that lasted four and a half months from a hellacious hit that shattered the glass, and uh, and he was out for the rest of that season. The next concussion he had, he was symptomatic for 14 days, and he was out for a little over a month. And then his third concussion he was only symptomatic for four days and he was out two weeks. So, successive concussions need not necessarily be more severe than the one that precedes it.
0: Presumably, it related to the air of the brain that uh, affected during the concussion.
1: In part, and then in part, of course, most importantly, just how severe the forces were that were imparted to the brain.
0: So, what are the risks then for people who have multiple concussions in terms of developing chronic traumatic encephalopathy?
1: Well, it's important to understand that although. Concussions are kind of the hallmark of CTE. It's not really just concussions that causes it. It's total brain trauma. So all of those thousands, if not tens of thousands, of subconcussive blows count as well. And, in fact, in our brain bank, we actually have some individuals with CTE who never had a recognized concussion. They took tens of thousands of subconcussive blows, and cumulatively, all of that brain trauma can cause CTE, even if you've never had a recognized concussion.
0: Are the mechanisms then for CTE well understood then in terms of relation to concussions? Well, we
1: believe that it involves an inflammatory response, diffuse axonal injury, and that with repetitive injury, the repair mechanism kind of goes awry, and you have a breakdown. Your nerve cells and your axons and hyperphospholated form of protein called Cal, TAU is left as a residue. That's kind of the theory that's prevailing today. It's a work in evolution,
0: though. What are some of the more common myths that are out there regarding concussions that really need to be dispelled?
1: Well, probably the most common one is you need to be rendered unconscious to have a concussion, and that's wrong. 90% of the time, you're not. Another myth is that you have to be hit in the head to have a concussion, and you don't. You can be simply whiplashed violently from a blow to your back or a blow to your chest that snaps your head. Another myth is that concussion, that uh, concussions are prevented by helmets and mouth guards, and of course they aren't. We've already talked about subsequent concussions being more severe, not necessarily. Patrice Bursch runs the example there. There's a myth out there that three concussions and you should be out. Well, that's, that's nonsense because concussions are not all created equal concussion where the symptoms last hours or a day is very different from an injury in terms of symptoms that last six months or a year. And then somebody who has symptoms that last a year, maybe one concussion is all they should take and they should think about never going back to collision activities. Or somebody that has multiple concussions but clears completely and you can demonstrate no injury whatsoever, then multiple concussions might be able to be safely taken. Another myth is that uh, guys are more prone to concussion than girls, and it really is the other way around. In the sports that both guys and girls play, basketball, ice hockey, soccer, the incidence of concussion is almost twice as great in the girls as it is to the guys. Yes, concussion for the women is, is quite a concern, and we believe that it's mostly due to Two factors, one, that they're probably, on average, a little more honest than the guys in admitting symptoms. Certainly not all girls, but most. But more importantly, I believe, the necks of girls are not as strong as the necks of guys. And the neck should be strengthened. It's your best resistance against having a concussion uh, other than avoiding blows to the head.
0: So what are some advice then for parents supervising their kids going through sports? Should they really be hyper-vigilant regarding the potential risk for concussions, and if there's any potential signs of a concussion, immediately go to the doctor?
1: Yes, Charles, in the book we empower the parents and kind of ask them to not be doctors but be cognizant of how their children are acting, and we give them a checklist of questions that they can ask their kids and little examinations they can put their kids through to determine whether or not they suspect their child might be suffering from a concussion. And if their child is suffering from a concussion, then we suggest that they take them to a physician who's knowledgeable in concussion management and we kind of give them the questions they need to ask the doctor to be sure they're comfortable that this doctor has that
0: knowledge. So for a few people who suffer from concussions, the recommendation might be to actually stay away from sports for a while.
1: Well, certainly a child who's still symptomatic from a concussion. It's unquestionable that that individual needs to remain away from sports. In fact, should really remain away from any kind of vigorous physical activity till the symptoms have cleared. Then once they've cleared, you start a progressive exercise program, and then once the individual has totally recovered, and has a perfectly normal exam and cannot be made symptomatic by any provocative test, then most individuals at that point can return to whatever sport they've been playing.
0: Well, I'm curious if there are any particular reforms that think need to be instituted, not just to, at the level of kids sports, but also in, in the professional leagues as well.
1: Well, I think the most important thing is that I think we should eliminate the head as a legal part of the body to be targeted. And the National Football League has gone a long way. So they call so-called blindside hits, meaning a, a hit to the head where the athlete is in the act of kicking a ball, catching a ball, throwing a ball. So their eyes are on that act and they can't protect themselves. If they get hit in the head it's a 15-yard penalty, if it's flagrant, then it's fine and or Suspension. I'd like to see it go one step further, and that is the head just cannot be targeted as the initial point of contact.
0: Well, it looks like we are running slightly out of time. I'm just curious if you have a few uh, take-home points, messages for parents, kids, everyone who plays sports, what they should think about in terms of protecting themselves, protecting others, and looking out for concussions.
1: Well, I think the most important thing is that uh, parents should just realized that no head trauma is good head trauma. You can't condition the head. Uh, to take trauma, and all you're going to do is injured if it takes too much trauma. So minimize head trauma um, every chance you get. That means if you're playing a sport which does have head trauma in it, practice it in such a way that you're not hitting heads in practice. Save it for game day. And then, of course, use the most proper technique, and the proper technique really is not using your head as a battering ram.
0: And then, of course, if you suffer a concussion, manage it well and just take some time off and recover.
1: Uh, absolutely. Unquestionably, uh, physical and cognitive rest until asymptomatic. Uh,
0: the new book is called Concussions in Our Kids, America's Leading Expert on How to Protect Young Athletes and Keep Sports Safe. Uh, the book is by Dr. Robert Cantu. And, uh, Dr. Cantu, we're very uh, grateful that you joined us today on the Grok Science Show.
1: Thank you for having me, Charles.
0: And you were just listening to Dr. Robert Cantu discussing the concussions in our kids this is the Grok's Science Show. Coming up in just a few minutes is the Grokatron 5000. So stay tuned. Don't call it a All right, it's time to play our game. It's called the Grokatron 5000. It is our supercomputer, formerly known as Deep Blue. Today, the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic, suffering from a concussion. So for the following five people in the Grokatron 5000 like to know if you think they're suffering from a concussion or not, and a little reason why. Dr. Canty, you ready to play the game?
1: (laughs) Sure, by (laughs)
0: the way. All right, person number one, uh, it's the uh, talk show host, Jerry Springer.
1: Oh, my. He's certainly not inhibited, and that can come from head trauma, but he's also an entertainer, and so I think he's probably just picked up a style that works for him.
0: (laughs) Okay. Uh, Number two, it's the uh, singer Britney Spears.
1: Um, I'd have to know what her grades were in school. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe maybe this is not new. Maybe this was exhibited along the way. (laughs)
0: Okay. Uh, number three, uh, John Madden.
1: Oh, I don't know. I, I, uh, I, I think he has a lot of very intelligent things to say, and I think he's very much into this concussion business. He was a football coach at a very high level for the Oakland Raiders and gave it up after 10 years to being even more successful uh TV commentator, so I, I think he exercised quite a bit of intelligence.
0: All right, number four, suffering from a concussion or not, it's the uh, golfer Tiger Woods.
1: Oh boy, I understand where that's probably coming from. If he is, it probably wasn't from golf.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Almost certainly. All right, uh, number five, finally, it's uh, the actor Charlie Sheen.
1: Oh my, that that's kind of beyond concussion. <laughs> <laughs> But, but it it, uh, it it could have been, it could have been, or it could have been other things that gave him the same effects on his frontal lobes and his temporal lobes that concussions can impart. You can damage your brain more than one way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And he's certainly showing some interesting uh, behavioral manifestations of whatever that is. Yes. All right. Uh, Well, um, Dr. Cantu, I want to thank you very much for sticking around, playing our game, and again talking about your book, Concussions in Our Kids, America's Leading Expert on How to Protect Young Athletes and Keep Sports Safe. Thank you again for your time.
1: Thanks again for having me, Charles.
0: and take out that garbage.